You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is the CRM Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management archaeology and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 259 for March 8th, 2023. I'm your host, Chris Webster. On today's show, we talk about keeping a toe in the archaeology world without actually working professionally. So get ready to volunteer because the CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. Welcome to the show, everyone. Joining me today is Andrew in snowy Southern California. <laughs> What's up? It's a winter wonderland. <laughs> not, not using the surfboard today, I bet. Not and, so much. Uh, yeah. And then Doug over in, I don't know if it's snowy Scotland or not, but I, I imagine it's cold. Yeah. We're like right on the ocean. We rarely get snow, but it's kind yeah. of miserable. And it's like, we don't get like fun <laughs> like winter. We get like gray overcast. And then like the sun's down at like 3.30 and doesn't pop up till 9, sort of like miserable winter. Hey, I've seen Star Wars. Luke Skywalker lives in Scotland. So, you know, I know I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> All right. So we are going to spend the first part of the show talking about a listener email that we got. And I do encourage you guys to send us emails. You can use the contact form at arcpodnet.com. It's all over the place, like right there on the main page. You can email me directly, chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Or if you want to contact one of the other hosts, we've got some Twitter information and some other stuff, whatever they've given us at arcpodnet.com forward slash CRM archaeology. So you can go right to the show page or look down at your device right now. Their contact info is in the show notes. But this email and the listener did give me permission to use her name and where she's from. So I will do that. I'm just going to read the most of the email i'm not going to read the first part where she loves the uh podcast network but here i'm going to say the <laughs> i'm going to say the rest you of it should, you should read only the first part that sounds great yeah i know uh, she says thank you we love the podcast and i really appreciate that trust me you guys have no yes, idea yes. like we don't receive yeah we don't receive a lot of negative email which is which is great but we also don't receive a lot of positive email and it's you know it's it is really nice to when people reach out sometimes because it does seem like you're you're just talking into an empty void sometimes i I know people are listening and they don't have time to respond because i listen to podcasts and i've literally never responded (laughs) so (laughs) you know i'm just as guilty but you know we do appreciate it when when people come in because i i assume that's like less than one percent of the listeners that would send something in which tells me statistically there's more that appreciate what we do they're just not writing in so yeah all right so the main part of her question here yeah the please love us plea there (laughs) we should do that for all episodes from now on guys please please (laughs) send me emails 
I'm, I'm desperate. All right, here we go. All right, so she says, here's the situation. I love archaeology, but not as much as I would love to stay home and raise my children. That sounds familiar, even to lots of archaeologists. I don't know about the raise children part, but definitely stay home. I have known this for a long time, and for that reason, I do not have my bachelor's degree. I knew I would never use it, so I didn't see the point in spending so much money. Sounds smart so far. My spouse has a successful career. He and I are extremely fortunate to be financially stable and own a home. So staying home is an option for me, but traveling all the time is not. My question is this. Can you think of any ways for me to stay active in my local archaeological community without a career or even a real degree in archaeology? I'm running out of classes at my local community college. Uh And uh, she says, thanks so much for your time, Kate in California. Now, First off, I love that she's taking classes at her local community college just because she can. Andrew, uh, Andrew, I'm curious. Do you have people in your classes that are like, I have no interest in a career in this. I'm just interested to be here. Are, are those the kind of classes? Do you teach those kinds of classes that people could do that for? Or, yes. you know, how does that work? Yes, all the time. E- even when you got yes. Kate in California, I thought you were going to ask, Andrew, do you have a Kate in class? Is it Kate? <laughs> um, and the answer is, the answer is quite possibly. So... <laughs> This question is California. She is somewhere. (laughs) The answer to that is is totally, and I think I think it's it's actually a huge, untapped or very awkwardly tapped like group of people that archaeologists should should really listen to because not only are they filling your classes, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, right away they're taking the classes. They're sitting there. They're paying their fees, which is great. They also tend to be people who are really really interested in the archaeology world. And just like this person, I love this question, actually, because I get it all the time and and they want to contribute. So what I tell my students is there's a couple different ways. First, beyond taking the classes to become a part of your local uh, archaeology organization, right? You know, for us locally, we have the Ventura County Archaeological Society, but most Mm -hmm. places do, you know, and that's a great way to sort of be a part of it, but still keep your day job kind of thing, you know. And it kind of keeps you in the mix. Those little groups, you get these really great connections to the local archaeology world. There'll be like little day trips and stuff that come up all the time that you can be a part of. You can go see these lectures that are really cutting edge research, you know, that you could actually be making choices that most grad students don't, you know, where where nice. you can be you can be a more active member in these local societies. There's people who volunteer on weekends. A lot of these societies need people to help them with their collections, right? They'll have some sort of lab set up. So you could come like every second Saturday and, you know, work on the on the lab. And there there are these people who get, again, they get a really vast amount of knowledge as they do this over the years. And the last thing I tell them mm-hmm. is uh, that depending on time and this person maybe has young children and maybe can't do this, but as they get older, that they can go on a trip maybe to Belize or something like that as a volunteer. There are certain projects that are very open to volunteers who have that idea of, man, I've always wanted to do this, you know? And so that is like a fertile ground that so many archaeology projects don't take advantage of. And it's great because those people are like committed. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, man, I've got some stuff to say on that. And then I've written down mm-hmm. some other things too. We're going to try to have a list in the show notes here. Just, I don't know if we'll have links, but maybe just a list of ideas that we'll put in the show notes that I'm collecting, but Doug right. may have to leave us early today. So Doug, oh, I want to yeah. know over in Scotland or in your experience, even in like New Mexico, what are some ideas that you can think of for people to stay engaged in archeology span and heritage? 
Yeah. Unfortunately, in the UK, well, mainly England, Wales, other places, they basically obliterated what they call lifelong learning here, which is, you know, continuing education Mm -hmm. in the States. Um, Yeah, it used to be actually massive. Like there there used to be... Well, now I'm going to misquote it because I probably, now that like I'm on the spot, but I won't actually say there was more people doing lifelong learning at one point than there were actually people doing archaeology degrees. Hmm. I'm pretty sure, I mean, it was, it was in the several thousands and it peaked about 2007, six, and then they cut all the funding and charge people a fortune and yeah, you know, normal, right. healthy government. Uh, right. Destroying your your entire uh, uh, long term future of your uh, country, but uh, that aside, <laughs> there still are really strong. So again, local societies, and when we say local, there could be state, but also so Albuquerque had its own, and New Mexico had its own the Albuquerque Archaeology Society or something along those lines. I mean, it might have been like the society. I think it was Albuquerque Archaeology Society, but. You know, if your town is big enough, there's likely to be one or even uh, county mm-hmm. one. So I know like when you start to get to like the East Coast, like Pennsylvania has a bunch of county or re- local regional um, archaeological societies as well. So it's not just, you know, your state one. You can have yeah. all sorts of local ones. Museums and heritage sites love volunteers. I, my one recommendation is possibly to s- it might be tougher if you go to like the more famous sort of museums. So sure. like Smithsonian, I don't think takes volunteers or like the British museum really does just because they get like 5,000 people like a week <laughs> or something um, coming and asking if they can volunteer at these, at these very sure. popular museums. But man, your local museum or, you know, just the next town over the County museum or, you know, a state, especially like state monuments and stuff, they would always love to have volunteers and they're usually not thought of. So like, so she's based in California. You guys will have to fill this in, Andrew. And well, Chris, you, you, you seem to like go through California every couple of months, <laughs> but like, I don't know if there's like a very famous, uh, I don't, know, I don't know, the tar pit museum or something like that. They, they probably yeah. aren't going to look for volunteers. They actually, but do. Some, some of my students have worked at Librea Tar Pits. Like, like, oh, okay. Nice. They will take yeah. them, all of them. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm trying to think of like a California big museum. Like, I just, it's, I'm blanking on it, but like uh, smaller museums. And then also sometimes like a lot of universities will have a anthropology museum or a small museum there. And so don't even, it doesn't have to be local. You could just go to your local universities i think because you she's based in california there's going to be like uh isn't it like 50 some in the state or something like that uh andrew there's there's like a, between there's the a different bunch. california yeah, states. The Cal yeah. states and all that there's yeah. there's there's one for every taste and pocketbook you know what i mean yeah nice. so there's, nice. there's a lot of places you can go for that and then also possibly i, I think this is general for everyone is you could also think about online as well I wouldn't recommend like Facebook groups and Twitter or anything like that because a lot of those didn't always start well and have gone downhill a lot recently. But there are a lot of projects that you can get involved with 
that you can do and sort of have a sense of community and talk to people and learn a lot that are digital-based volunteering. So what I'm thinking of is Micropass, which is like a platform, um, and they do sort of crowdsourcing for archaeological projects. Um, and things will be like transcribing notes or like looking at kind of really cool photographs and just categorizing them and saying like, yeah, that's an arrowhead. That's a, you know, whatever. And they'll train you up and stuff like that. So I think there are different digital ways to go too, in case you're, you maybe, I don't know, for any of the listeners who are, are not Kate in California, actually, I don't know where in California she is. She might be in a pretty remote area, but yeah, who knows if you don't have, yeah, if you don't have that option of local sort of museums, heritage sites, or societies, there are projects that do cater to people who can do it digitally and they're pretty awesome. Okay. All right. Well, let's take a quick break and then come back on the other side and keep talking about this. We'll be back in just a minute. Waiting on a tax return. Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Welcome back to Life Advice for Kate in California. Uh, CRM Archaeology episode 259. <laughs> and I love this stuff too. I love getting questions like this where we can just talk about stuff and maybe even help somebody and, and maybe a lot more people as well just, just get into this a little bit more. You know, this is great. And, and there probably are some CRM archaeology professionals that may have gotten out of the field because logistically it just wasn't working for their lifestyle. And they're wondering, man, they've got that archaeology itch. They're still listening to this show, which means they've got some kind of an itch they need to scratch and they want to keep their toe in it. So I think this would be good for, for a lot of people to listen to, or maybe you're just, you want to do something over the winter and you can't work over the winter, wherever you, wherever you live. Right. And, and you have nothing to do, but you want to keep your toe in the, in the field. So mm-hmm. this is good stuff. Doug, you've got a, you've got a comment on that. Yeah. I'd also say like, it might be something for people to consider. I know you've mentioned people who can't do it, but also, like, a lot of people who do have careers in archaeology, I think they should consider something like this because there's a lot of people who like archaeology but don't necessarily like all the aspects of the job. And right. they can end up being quite miserable doing archaeology because they like certain parts but don't like others. And actually, this should probably be much more of a consideration where you're thinking about you like archaeology – you could still be involved, but maybe do a different job that better meets your needs for your family or yourself or, you know, your life in general. Yeah. You know, I just wanted to bounce off some stuff that Doug said just now. And also in the previous segment, I thought there was a lot of good stuff there. First, the idea of the quote unquote lifelong learner 
the funding mm-hmm. as Doug brought up, it, it, it kind of ebbs and flows right now. It's at a bit of an ebb and it just has to do with the politics of, you know, administrative education, but it will be back and we're always on your side. So I, I want people out there who are interested in archeology span to really just reach out, reach out, man. Don't be shy to cold email like a local college professor, local museum or that kind of stuff. Just cold email. I get these all the time. Dear Professor Kinkella, I'm just really curious about archaeology, right? And we love those. Like, that's totally cool. And I will try to shoot you a quick, quick email back and, and guide you as best I can, right? The other thing that Doug talked about in terms of museums and heritage places, yeah, the local ones, they're dying for people, you know? So any local heritage site, cold email them. Hey, I'm really interested in working. Beware what you wish for. They'll be like, can you start Monday? You know, because that's the world. So many of these local places, they're running on tiny shoestring budgets. So they are beyond happy to see your smiling face at their front door. Just a follow on from Andrew there is also like some museums just don't even have a shoestring budget. They're literally volunteer led museums. So yeah. I have one in my town which is tiny. T- I was okay. So we're a suburb of Edinburgh. So it's, you know, there's a bigger city next to us. But ours, our town is 12, 16,000 people as a suburb. And it has a tiny museum that's open seasonally and it's all run by volunteers. Nice. And so there are a lot of those museums as well that it's, it's not even that they, they're looking for volunteers. They are nothing but volunteers. So there's, there's a lot of, opportunities out there. And I also just expand a little bit. You can maybe look at some less off the beat ones. So there'll be like a lot of local history places, but sometimes like art galleries also end up sort of moving into that sort of cultural area. Yeah. And just, you know, there's, there's a lot out there. I guess what I'd say is don't just Google like archaeology museum, be a bit more broad in like local history or just anthropology or yeah, use a bunch of different terms because there'll be some museums that cover a lot and they'll definitely have like an archaeology section they'd be very interested to have someone work on or volunteer on. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a that's a great, great idea. Actually, my mom is a docent at a, a local museum in San Francisco. So this is a pretty nice. you know heavy hitter kind of museum. And she's retired. She was just into art and she just now she goes, I believe, twice a week. Right. So it mm-hmm. can become almost a part time job. Again, they'll take you, you know, for as little or as much as you can give. I do want to touch on one tiny thing that Doug talked about a bit before in terms of going to the local colleges. A lot of times the college professors can give you guidance, but they might not necessarily allow you to work on campus because of insurance reasons. It just depends. So don't be sure. Don't be bummed out if they're like, oh, actually, by the way, you know, you can't come into my lab because you're not a currently enrolled student. It just depends, though. It's, yeah. all, it's always fine to ask. Yeah. You know, I would be remiss in not mentioning this, even though it was the very last episode that we released. But the site stewardship program in Utah, Heather mentioned that there was one in California, maybe in certain areas and other states may have site stewardship programs. So but along those lines, I mean, that that requires you to not only learn about the site that you're stewarding and and probably archaeology in the area, but also to actually go out there and do that. And now Kate specifically mentioned not wanting to travel, but maybe like weekend travel every couple of months is not that big a deal. Right. But I feel like, yeah, yeah. in having this conversation with you guys, uh, I've come to realize that there's probably about three different categories of 
how you can get involved, right? You can work and actually possibly even get paid, you know, like some of the bigger museums and stuff. If you manage to get a position in there, it might actually have some sort of compensation to it. You can learn, like, do you want to just learn about stuff? Or do you want to just increase your knowledge? You're not, in, you're not interested in necessarily helping or volunteering or doing anything like that. You just want to learn about archaeology. That's mm-hmm. a different thing entirely, right? And then it's also help volunteering. Do you want to actually work at an archaeological site, help out in a museum, you know, do something like that? So I think you've you've probably got to decide what you want to do along those lines and then decide how you best want to do that. You know what I mean? Because all these options that we're giving you, like community college classes, that's going to give you knowledge, which may help you actually volunteer and or become a better volunteer in certain circumstances, depending on where you're going to do it. Or maybe you just want to take, you know, community college classes and be educated and just do something with your free time. And then maybe join your archaeological, your local archaeological society and, and listen to a talk once a month. And, you know, maybe do site tours or something if they're doing that with other people who are interested and, and just be more knowledgeable about that stuff when you do it. So yeah, you really got to decide what you want your involvement to be and what you want to get out of it. It's the same thing with any career, right? Like, do you want to be a college professor or do you want to dig holes for the rest of your life? Like, maybe you can do both. <laughs> but like, what do you want to do will determine the path to get there. You know what I mean? Can you think of any other involvement categories, so to speak, that, that we could be talking about here? I have a couple of things to throw in there. One is one we haven't mentioned. If you're looking for involvement, there's the Passport and Time pro- uh, oh, yeah. Project for yeah. the Forest Service, I believe. So there's national ones that actually... They do accept volunteers as well, like to mm-hmm. have people go through archives or, or help out at national parks and stuff like that. And they tend to be pretty good. So national parks, state parks, even looking at some of the less so it, – it, I don't know how familiar this person is with archaeology, but like you know, BLM is something that we all know in archaeology as the Bureau of Land Management. But like most people have no idea that they do – uh, they're probably the biggest archaeological client, I would say, out of out of in all the, the departments. Yeah. yeah, easily in the West. Yeah, and and like so, it's it's looking at those Army Corps of Engineers as well. It's another one that like people are not going to think of when they think of archaeology, but they're another big one where they might have volunteering opportunities. Depends on the, the how close you are to maybe one of their archives, and um, and then. Back to like Chris, what you're saying, how like different involvement. If people just want to learn stuff, there's actually a lot of organizations that now, especially after COVID, still do Zoom lectures or at least put yeah. their lectures online. So there's a ton of stuff like that. I mean, so I run a small charity. We do that. YouTube channels, recording archaeology. But I would say is like we do the archaeology conferences. So sometimes the audience is aimed at other archaeologists. So it can be very jargon heavy, but there are a lot of organizations out there who do put their lectures online or you know you can see them live or just see the recordings that are much more accessible actually i I prefer them as well because like jargon heavy if if it's not my area of archaeology i sounds like they're speaking (laughs) latin and sometimes they are sometimes Um, they are (laughs) yeah Yeah. but that's Uh, there's other ones so one that comes off the top of my head is the oriental institute of chicago they mm -hmm. actually have a, a pretty nice YouTube channel lecture series where it's actually aimed at just general, you know, archaeology. And so they focus, you know, Middle East and stuff like that. But there are a lot of people now who've put their lectures online 
just to say that like there is a lot like there's there's yeah you could probably spend the next like 10 years of your life just looking at youtube videos of people who have put nice. their lectures up so there's a lot out there that if you want to learn that doesn't have to be formal you don't need to ask anyone's permission you literally just go online and start surfing yeah. and looking around right you know i i would just add a couple little bits for those of you who are into zoom archaeology lectures or whatever make sure to put them on your calendar because what happens is you'll see these cool <laughs> events you'll be like man yeah i, I want to go to that and then you just will totally forget so for me i like doing those too but i have to consciously go put this on your calendar right now you know because you will yes. forget and then the other thing where doug was listing places the aia the american was it the american institute of archaeology it's the one that that publishes archaeology magazine they have lectures like that too nice that's that's actually another option too is like archaeology magazine there's a i mean there's a couple of magazines in the uk there's archaeology magazine in north america there's, mm -hmm. there's actually quite a few like outlets that if you just sort of want to have a fun read i'm not sure how the quality of national geographic's gone since they sold it but you know there's there's Fine. also those sort of options yeah as well I mean, we're, we've been talking digital, but you can go old school with like newsletters and magazines and all that sort of fun stuff. Well, before we end this segment, I'll mention one more that's more of a, a physical and attend that thing. And it's a little bit controversial, probably, but you, if you find the right ones, then they're educational. Uh, but metal detectoring groups, right? There are definitely some metal detectorists out there that are just interested in, in you know, finding cans and pot hunting and, and looting archaeological sites. But I would say the majority of metal detectorists are really just legitimately interested in history. And they have a lot of self-gained knowledge. There, there could even be archaeologists as part of these groups that are, that are helping them out and, and, and also interested in metal detecting. But it, you'd have to buy the equipment, of course, or they may have equipment for you to use or borrow or something like that. But it could be a way to, you know, just find other people that are interested in this sort of thing and history and, and just learning and, and, and going out and doing these things where it's, you know, safe and legal and you're, you're able to actually, you know, do it in a good way. So, yeah, I was also going to add, again, it's, it's a bit fraught, but there's a lot of people who do sort of arrowhead collecting and there's some moral issues around that, but sure. some of those people are again, very knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. I'm very interested into the archaeology and they've, they, you know, they, they do it legal, you know, legal is not necessarily the same thing as moral, but they're <laughs> also very nice people and are good there. I, I'd also say is, you know, I've just mentioned there's a lot of stuff on YouTube. Uh, I'd mm -hmm. say at places we've mentioned, so like the AIA and various other sort of archaeological organizations are the best places to go because obviously anything can be put on the internet. And you could accidentally quite quickly go down a rabbit hole on YouTube where you're ending up with weird conspiracy theory, like aliens built the pyramids sort of stuff. And sometimes it's hard to tell because you get what you sort of are like socially acceptable conspiracy people who they, they say a lot of stuff. It sounds very scientific. Yeah. They have a very good pitch. But it's complete bunk. But you got to be very careful about that as well. So, yeah, I'd say yeah. definitely be careful and, and aim for places that are archaeology organizations um, that are putting it yeah. out as opposed to just sort of that more random. For sure. Because you do get end up with some weird people. And, and, and I say this not just as like weird non-archaeologists, but you also end up with some weird archaeologists who, on, on YouTube as well who are a bit um, – yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that. 
What are you trying to say? I saw that. I saw that one guy that did that Graham Hancock video. What a crackpot! So, <laughs> what a <yeah>. loser. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So let's take a break, and we'll come back on the other side and wrap this up because I've got some more fun stuff to talk about related to staying in archaeology without staying in archaeology. A little bit more outside the box too. So we'll do that on the other side of the break. Back in a minute. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully, it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. All right. Welcome back to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 259. And Doug had to leave at the end of the second segment where we got two segments out of him. So that's good. And... Andrew and I are going to talk about just a. have got some some last things down here that I wanted to mention. And honestly, they're more into the learning and sort of volunteering, but may include travel or buying equipment. So one of the ones I did want to mention that is another online thing that I don't think was mentioned was the Masterclass series, right? There are a lot of good like archaeology related stuff on Masterclass. I don't have a subscription to that. It's like really expensive. But yeah. You you can I don't know if you can get like one off courses on there either if you have to buy a membership but either way it's worth looking into if you've got the means and the time because there's really high level you know quality stuff on there that I've seen so no yeah that's a good one and I I think I've had a student or two or three over the over time who were members of that the this the same kind of people we're talking about people who are the lifelong learner crowd or that kind of thing who are yeah. really into it but I think I noticed the same thing the expense I think it was pretty expensive. But, yeah, it's not cheap, but but they're all like highly qualified professionals on there. Like if you're going to learn astronomy, I'm pretty sure it's from like Neil deGrasse Tyson. You know what I mean? Oh, so, it totally is. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like Richard Dawkins teaching you about evolution, right? I mean, like it's a whole <laughs> exactly. bunch of, you know, yeah. It, it is that good. Yeah. Yeah. And then some other stuff in the realm of the real is uh, ecotourism. And I, I've talked about Earthwatch before and my field school was technically an Earthwatch program because I couldn't get to Olduvai Gorge in Africa where I absolutely wanted to be any other way. There was nobody else doing programs over there. I looked yeah. uh, from university programs and all kinds of stuff, and I ended up paying uh, paying the money to be an ecotourist, basically, uh, on an mm -hmm. Earthwatch program, digging almost two million year old uh, hominid fossils and or, or hominid deposits. Anyway, we never found any hominids. We found extinct alligator and hippo, which is kind of cool, but. Right. Uh, and I don't know if our if our if our stuff. We were only there for three weeks. We got to do lab work. We got to do excavation. We got to go visit the Serengeti, some Maasai camps. Just living at the Leaky Camp in a tent was amazing. Opening the zip flap on your tent and seeing giraffe and zebra outside the 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 briar fence outside the camp was just. I mean, indescribable. It was amazing. Yeah. Like like learning how to sleep while hearing lions and hyenas in the distance was 
a little disconcerting, but you get used to it. It was just, it was just an amazing experience. It wasn't cheap. You had to get to Africa and it was like $5,000 for this particular one. But you look at the Earthwatch website and they got stuff all over this country that might be four or five days. It might be two or three weeks. It might cost $800. It might cost, you know, $6,000. It's just the, the variety is huge and it's not, it's mostly not archaeology, right? They have stuff all over the map, but there is archaeology on there. So if you're interested, it's worth checking out. Yeah, I, I will say that in my career, there's been several different projects in completely different places. Like I think one in Germany, one in Belize, where they had Earthwatch volunteers over the years. So Earthwatch is a kind of it's an organization with a lot of tendrils all over the place. Yeah. And I mean, do you know anybody that's used it as a as a professor doing research? Because I know if you're struggling to find some some funding, that's mostly what it's for is having volunteers help pay for some of the funding for some of your work. But I don't know the logistics of it and, and how that actually works. Do you even get enough to do an entire like project or is that just one of the sources of funding? Yeah, I think my guess is it's just one of the sources of funding. Again, the the projects I worked on where there were Earthwatch volunteers, I only saw that as a student. So I didn't know Mm. behind the scenes, you know what I mean? Like the money percentage or whatever. But to my feeling, it's just it's as it always is. It's just, hey, you get funding wherever you can. And Earthwatch is one of them. I, I don't know if you could go out with an only Earthwatch funded project. That feels a little thin to me. Sure. Okay. well. Some of the other stuff I've got on here is more virtual. And I don't know, do you have any other ecotourism type ideas or things you could go out and see that are, you know, maybe you have to pay for, but you still learn and possibly work and volunteer and help on that? Uh, I, I can't think of any others besides Earthwatch. Yeah, no, not not off the top of, top of my head. Like there, sometimes uh, I was trying to think like local universities and stuff will sort of have things like this, but but. Mm-hmm. It almost every time it boils down to you have to actually sign up for the unit somehow like they have to enroll you because of the again because of the insurance and that kind of stuff. So that's Mm -hmm. not that I would not say is your first stop. So after that, I I don't have too too much more. I I would say that on the last segment there when when we were talking about metal detectors and aero collection groups, I would I would be very, very like I would. You're playing with fire on that one. So like some of those groups, man, for me personally, I would not recommend those just because I've had very bad experiences, especially with the Arrowhead collecting groups. Like I would stay miles away from that. Uh, Just so note note to all like come into any of this with a, you know, with the grain of salt ready to roll, even even local archaeology groups, just make sure they're on the level. You won't know at first, but just kind of keep your eyes open. Nice. Yeah, that's good advice. The airhead collecting ones definitely are usually not, not on the up and up. Yeah. Yeah. But the metal detecting ones, there could be some that are endorsed by and even possibly run by your local archaeological societies. Right. Because there's a lot of a lot of valid things you can do around that. And a lot of people that aren't interested in necessarily breaking the law or reinterpreting yeah. the law and going that route. So, yeah, definitely take it with a grain of salt. Right. I hear you. Just my personal experience with some of that world was very not on the up and up, you know. So when I heard that, I I was sort of like, ooh, beware, (laughs) beware, yellow light, yellow light. 
I know, I know. I feel like I had to mention it, but yeah, definitely be sure. cautious uh, uh, as yeah. far as all the other things go. So, so the rest of this can be done. The, the other, I've got three more things down here. I might think of a few more, but these can be done from your couch, right? From the comfort of your own home. Right. The easiest one that you could do right now without any other equipment, possibly a, an accelerated graphics card, but other, otherwise is Second Life. Second Life has... If you've never heard of it, it's like a virtual thing. It's been around like 20 years and it's this virtual world that you join. You have to come up with your own name and your avatar and all that stuff. But once you get past all that, there are people who have built replicas, accurate replicas of entire archaeological sites in Second Life that you can like virtually walk around, fly around, meet somebody else in there and 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 look at stuff. And there's like... There's, there's often like informational displays that might have audio or video that you can actually sit and watch, almost like you're in a museum at the site, right? At this virtual site. And it's just yeah. the work some people have put into this stuff. Even if the actual visual representation isn't like super great or accurate, maybe you don't have an awesome graphics processor, maybe they didn't do a very good job. There's often other information attached to it. And you can kind of visualize what the information is talking about when you're listening or watching something. You can look around the structure or area or town and right. say, oh, yeah, I get it. This is really cool. You know, it's just a really neat low cost because it's free. Right. So you can you can get into it for nothing. Yeah. And I, I like it. I haven't been in there in a long time, but I've, I've never heard of that. But I've I've experienced sort of a similar thing. I'm sure it's not through Second Life, but. I used to assign my students to go online and tour Lascaux. So you can mm. you can look at the cave paintings of Lascaux like online and it's pretty cool. And it's actually pretty funky. I highly recommend putting headphones on because you click on it and it cruises you through and it plays this like funky mood music. And d definitely turn the lights down too nice. because you're just sort of cruising through Lascaux and these are like the cave paintings. And you can like look up and click on them and read about them and it's very... It's very awesome, but it that mood music, it's kind of like, ooh, you know, <laughs> as, as you're going through. And it's kind of a it's kind of a trip. So I recommend that the only thing, if you go on the Lasco website, half the time it'll click you straight into French. So sure. Try if you're English speaking, kind of make sure you're on the English side of things. That's that's it. Nice. But that one's cool. Yeah. Nice. That's really cool. Uh, another one that doesn't necessarily require equipment, although you can get a it's called Google Cardboard if they're still doing it, but it, it's like a little, it's literally cardboard. It's flat. They'll send it to you for like $10. If you're ever, at, if you're in California and at some Google event, I, this is how I got mine. They just handed them out for free, but you oh, basically, really? you basically fold it into this like Viewmaster type thing that you can put your phone in and then you open up the special app. Some apps are virtual reality apps. It's, it really is a stereoscopic Viewmaster type of thing where you've got two different images on the, uh, on the display. And when you look at it through something that's, that's separating those, but your eyes are putting it together. It looks three-dimensional. And uh, there's other ways to interact this one too, but Lithodomos VR, they have been a previous interviewees on the Archaeology Podcast Network, but also advertisers on the Archaeology Podcast Network. So I, I need to mention that. It hasn't been for a sure. little while, a couple of years. But they have gone to major archaeological sites around the world, done high, high, high resolution photogrammetry and other imaging techniques to bring these sites into virtual reality space, right? Uh, through their applications. And again, I haven't been on this website in a little while, so they've been evolving, expanding. I don't know what to expect when you go there now and how you interact with it, but 
at one point you paid like you, you got some stuff for free, but at one point you paid like a fee and you got access to everything. And then I think at another point when they really expanded these out, it was almost like an in-app purchase for, for each individual site that you wanted to look at. So I don't know what their payment model is now, but it is extremely high quality. And there's, there's again, information points. You can just click on them as you're looking at them and there's a little dot on the screen. It's hard to explain, but you, you click on these things and it will move you around the thing. You can't like walk around it. At least you couldn't a couple of years ago, but it would move you around the area. And then you could click on these little displays to get like sounds that would have been in the area at the time that they've replicated and audio explanations of stuff and things like that. But it's a really cool way to experience um, some of the, the big world heritage sites out there and, and other stuff that they've done. So I, I should look into it again because they've been on a rapid expansion track when they got like a massive amount of funding a couple of years ago. And it'd be interesting to see where they're at these days. Yeah. That one sounds really cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> I love this guy. It's like, I learn, you know what I mean? When I talk to you guys about this kind of stuff, I'm like, yeah. Oh, I should check out. Oh, check that out. Sounds pretty cool. I know. Well, I also host the Archaeotech podcast and sometimes we talk about some of this stuff on that show. And then sometimes on other shows, uh, like the rock art podcast, uh, Alan gold is the host of that show. And he is a, you know, longtime California rock art researcher runs the California Rock Art Foundation. He started it. So if you're interested, that's another thing that you could join is the California Rock Art Foundation. Right. They do, you know, site tours and, and all kinds of stuff, usually in the eastern Mojave, where Alan is actually the one taking you around and, and showing you stuff. And they've got a newsletter and they've got, you know, other cool information that they do. But one of the guests he had on was Eric Hansen, who's a friend of his. Eric Hansen, interestingly enough, started out as a like a special effects guy in movies. Like he's got a lot of high-end movies to his name as far as special effects goes. And then a few years ago, he started this thing called Blue Planet VR. And they've gone around to again archaeological sites and other like natural wonders type sites and done high resolution imagery, but for Oculus Quest. Right. So you don't need your phone and it's you literally can walk around these places and just experience them. Now, you can't well, you can't like move your feet slash walk around because you'll walk into a wall in your bedroom. But <laughs> <laughs> I guess if you're in like a gymnasium or something, you really could walk around. It's always but, uh, something. It's always something with these. I know. I know it's always something, but you can like push the buttons and, and move yourself around these things in a free ranging kind of way. And then there's informational stuff that pops up as well. And I've played around with it a little bit and there is some really, really cool stuff in there. I think it was like a $25 app, which is about average for like a non gaming app on the uh, Oculus Quest 2. And mm -hmm. it's totally worth it. It's really cool. And it's the kind of thing where it's not static either. They're constantly putting new stuff in there. I'm friends with him on Facebook now, and I'm always seeing him going out on trips and, you know, they're doing shooting trips, picking up some, some new site and putting it into Blue Planet VR. It's just really cool way to use some of that technology that you may already have or can pick up on the cheap. You can get the, the lower memory Oculus Quest 2 for like 250 bucks nowadays. If you want the higher memory capacity one, I think it's uh, 400 or something like that, which personally, as an owner of one of those, I would say get the higher memory capacity one because you're going to be sad having to offload stuff uh, when you run out of space because <laughs> it's a big yeah. difference. It's like it's something like, you know, 50 or 60 gigabytes to 256 gigabytes. That's the jump. And it's a lot. Right. So Anyway, good stuff. Uh, can you think of anything else, Andrew? I am completely tapped out. I have nothing left. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> well, I honestly didn't know if we'd go a whole, a whole show on this. So yeah. this is pretty great. Yeah. yeah. I, I think a lot of this stuff could be 
useful for archaeologists if they just want to learn something about something new or interact with something in a different mm-hmm. way, explore a new technology for maybe, you know, displaying your own archaeological information insights that you have. Maybe you could hook yeah. up with one of these virtual components and and put something together like that from an outreach standpoint, or just like I said, stay stay tapped in when you're when you're out for a little while because we all know it's sometimes in CRM you just get tired of the shovel bum life and you know, you want to Uber for a little while or something like that. And, yeah. but you want to stay plugged in, you know, so these could be some good resources for doing that. I think so. It, it can kind of recharge your batteries in a funny way. You know, if you're working CRM all the time, it's like, Oh, look at Lascaux a little bit. It's something completely different. And <laughs> exactly. still interesting. Yeah. And you know, the, the final thing we could also mention is, well, and you already know it, if you're listening to the show is the archaeology podcast network. You know, I, I get so many people over the years when you, when you accumulated all that have written in and said, Oh, you know, I was either, you know, I took archaeology in college, but I never did anything with it. And your show inspired me to, you know, go get some more, you know, education and, and go into work. We, we've had people write in and tell us that they got out of CRM because they just got out of CRM for whatever reason. And they got back into it after listening to the CRM archaeology podcast. Right. And they, they just, yep. it just re-energized their, their brains and, and, and gave them the motivation to get back in. So, and I'm not saying you should get back in, but you know, if it's, if it fits for what you're doing, I hope we can inspire you to do that or inspire you to even get out and do something else you really want to do, you know, whatever, whatever keeps you happy. So All right. Well, that's all I've got with that. We will see you guys in a couple of weeks with another show. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archpodnet.com slash podcast. Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Support the show and the network at archpodnet.com slash members. Get some swag and extra content while you're there. Send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Thanks, everyone, for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. See you guys next time. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.